0: Well, good morning, Four Points Church. How's it going? Like now, you're the one with the microphone. Good. All right, <laughs> good, good. You know, pastors, we always make jokes about having someone to open your water. I need that right now. I'm just kidding. Well, good morning, guys. I am very excited about what we're going to talk about today. You've been coming, many of you have been coming, although I've met some visitors today. And I just want you to know if this is your first time at Four Points, we're extremely excited to have you here. (laughs) Extremely excited. And we pray that God would keep bringing, not only bringing you so that your butt is in a seat, but so that you can be a part of our community uh, together because we love being together. And the series that we just finished last week was called Better Together. We were studying the book of Philippians, if you guys remember this. And we just dug deep into all the ways that God wants to work in our community uh, to make us more like him and to help us to serve one another, to be there for one another. And last week we talked a little bit about giving and how if we all buy in, guys, there's just no measure to what God can do and what God can accomplish through our church. And next week is also going to be a very special week. I'm still going to be here, but our youth and family pastor, Stephen Talbert, is going to be bringing the message next week, and I'm going to be sitting on the front row. Yeah, let's hear it for Stephen. Where would we be without the great Stephen Talbert? Um, Well, I tell you where I will be on the front row next week, taking good notes. So look forward to that. Um, This week, we're going to talk about the Bible. And we talk about the Bible every week. But specifically this week, I want to talk about how to study the Bible on your own. Because here's something that I've been seeing, right? As Christians, it is very tempting for us to kind of view like our time getting together on Sunday as the time during the week that we get in the Word. Now listen, it's my promise to you, guys. I, I dig deep every week, very intentional about what we talk about on Sunday mornings, right? Right? But really, I believe that we should all be here on Sunday morning already full from eating at the table of God during the week. And then we're just here together to celebrate. You know, you have the talking monkey on the stage, and I'm here to maybe God, for God to use to teach something, but you also, we teach one another when we're here, right? And the community, I think, is even important than the preacher in a church, and we've talked about that. But the problem is it can be difficult to study the Bible sometimes. Have you ever been there? Right? Have you, listen, have you ever been, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to raise mine, but have you, have you ever been in a place where you read something in the Bible and you were like, what the crap is that? Right? Like, what, what is that? I am not sure I know what that person is talking about. And I know that God wrote the Bible for me to read and understand and the Holy Spirit helps me understand, but I still don't really get that. Right? And how many people would be honest and say, you know what? Maybe I don't get into the Bible as much as I should because, because it's intimidating, because I'm not really sure if I'm gonna understand what I'm reading. Are you there? Have you ever been there? I have. Right? So the title of this morning's sermon is I don't get it. Right? I don't get it. How to study the Bible on your own. And uh, in order for us to get into like how to study the Bible on our own, the first thing we need to look at is we need to understand what the Bible is. What the Bible is. We have in our mind our own idea of what the Bible is. You know, it's a, it's a golden leaf leather bound book, right? That we carry around. This is God's word. If I said, "Hey, amen, this is God's word. We'd all say amen, right? And we have, we have a viewpoint on what the Bible is. This is what we think of when we say the Bible, but there's some very important things we need to consider if we're going to study the Bible on our own. The first thing is this. We need to consider that the Bible is really old. The Bible is really old. <laughs> right? New Testament is written 2,000 years ago. Some of the stories we read in the Old Testament are 5,000 years old. five to 10,000 years old. The Bible is really, really old. Hold, I have some photos I want to show you. The first one, just to give you an idea, right? This is ancient Hebrew. This is actually a little bit from the book of Isaiah, right? And this, this is what the Old Testament looked like when it was written. Like this. Written on leaves in parchments. That's a fancy word for leaves. And it looked like this, right? How many people think that seems pretty different from something else you've read? Right? All right, we have another one. This is the New Testament, The New Testament was actually written in the ancient Greek language. This is what the New Testament looked like when it was written, right? This is actually a little piece from the book of 2 Corinthians, another one of Paul's letters, you know, like Philippians, you know, but look at that. Is that pretty different from something else you've ever seen before? Yes. So here's something we need to understand when we're trying to understand the Bible on our own is the Bible is very old. And when we look at these pictures of the original language the Bible was written in, we're thinking, man, I can't read that, right? Some people do. Some people translate Greek and Hebrew. It's one of my nerd habits. But but most of us don't do that. And it seems kind of otherworldly. But guess what? It's not just the way the Bible was written, but like the culture around the Bible was also very different when it was written. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus preached, he used a lot of stories from being a farmer? Why do you think he used a bunch of stories about being a farmer? Yeah, Most of them were farmers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, here's, here's the ancient world, guys. Here's how most people lived when the New Testament was written. They lived in a house a little bit bigger than the size of this drum cage right here. Maybe it would come out to here. And on one side, uh, you would have a sleeping area. On this side, you would have animals. And then you could go up a ladder to the roof, and that's where people would take a bath. That was the house most people lived in. And most people owned land, or they worked on land. There was like two ways to get by. This was the ancient world. And the reason I say that, guys, is because that world is pretty different from now. And if I open up my Bible, and I try to read some of these stories and things, and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like a 40-year-old white dude in 2019, middle class. You know, like, I'm, I'm not going to understand some of it if I don't understand who it was originally written for. Right? Right. Let me give you another example of context. Let's just say I posted on Insta a photo of me and my wife in the Dominican Republic. And we are uh, just hanging out on the beach, And underneath this Insta post, it says, um, salt life, hashtag salt life or hashtag beach life. Now imagine a thousand years from now, you come across this Insta post, right? You don't know anything about me, right? Except this photo. You might see that I'm at the beach and be like, he had money. You might look at it and be like, salt life. He must've lived at the beach right? If I was wearing my famous aviator glasses that I wear, you might think I work for the highway patrol, right? If you saw, if you saw me with my wife, Corey, you might be like, man, that guy's in midlife crisis hanging out with younger women, right? You, but you wouldn't know. All you have is a picture to look at and to think about, but you don't know the context of the photo, You don't know what happened before. You don't know what happened after. You don't know that it was our 15th wedding anniversary. You know, you don't know any of this stuff. And sometimes when we read the Bible, it's like that. We're reading stuff and we don't understand it because we don't understand the story around it. We don't understand what it was like. Let me give you an example. From Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18. Teenagers, hold on to your seats. This one's for you. If someone has a stubborn or rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him. Now this could be a him or her, right? Because we have rebellious daughters too, right? We do. Some of you are rebellious daughters. Um, His father and mother shall take hold of him or her and bring him to the elders of the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. (laughs) You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I mean, most people are going to read that and be like, holy crap, like they were stoning kids to death, right? What kind of God do you serve? Right? What, what child isn't rebellious? I tell you what, if we stoned kids today who were being rebellious, we'd be childless. Yeah. Right? We'd be dead. We'd be dead. Our parents would have stoned us. Right? There wouldn't be any people. I mean, we're talking about the story of my life here. You want to talk about a rebellious kid? Just imagine a little Phil Vanderplug can't keep his mouth shut. Story of my life. I can't tell you how many sandals my mom had to pull off when she was driving the van and <laughs> fling, them, fling them back at me. Who's been hit with a sandal? I've been. All right. But here's what we don't understand, right? Let's let's talk about the context for a moment. Let's just nerd out for a second, okay? Because we want to understand what this passage means. God wanted it there, right? But I'm having a little bit of a hard time understanding what it means for me, all right? So how many people have had someone say, you know, you're not a real follower of God because you don't follow the whole Bible. Why don't you just obey the Old Testament, right? Right? It's, it's ignorance, guys, because people don't understand how the Bible works. So let me explain a couple of things. The Old Testament has a lot of laws in it, right? A lot of do this, don't do that. But there's three kinds of laws in the Old Testament. Let me tell you what they are. There are three different kinds. It's important to know this. Number one, there's worship laws. So some of the rules in the Old Testament are like telling ancient Jewish persons how to worship in the temple. It says, this is how you offer a sacrifice. This is what you do during the week. This is how you are clean or unclean for worship in the temple, right? So there's these worship laws that have to do with the Jewish form of worship in the temple. Guess what? None of those apply to us. You know why? Because we don't worship in a temple anymore. Jesus was the final sacrifice for all sin in all time. So we don't have worship laws. We don't have a prescription on how to go about worshiping in a temple. We don't offer sacrifices anymore, right? So those ones don't apply to us. The other type of law in the Old Testament is a civil law. And some of you know what civil is, right? A civil law is like the law of the land. It's like a government law. It's like a 55 mile per hour sign, right? You know, I'm like, I can't drive 55, Sammy Hagar, right? Story of my life. But that's a civil law. Because here's what's different about the Jews in the Old Testament from you and me. They were not just God's people spiritually. They were God's chosen nation. They were a nation. And Moses was not just a spiritual leader. He was the president. He didn't just have duties to lead people spiritually. He had duties for civil law and how people were supposed to behave civilly in ancient Israel. So some of the laws in the Old Testament don't apply to us anymore because we are not the nation of Israel, right? Moses is not our president, you know? We have a different government. We're from a different place. We don't follow those laws. And the third type of law in the Old Testament is a moral law. These are timeless. These are when God talks about his heart on an issue, right, or what God considers to be sin in an issue that doesn't have to do with worship and doesn't have to do with civil law. They're moral laws, and those are things that do apply to us from the Old Testament. So this commandment here to stone your children when they're rebellious was a civil law. It's not a spiritual law. It's Moses saying, look, if you've got a rebellious, and by the way, the word here for child is actually someone in their 20s, okay, and that's important to recognize too. But if you have a rebellious child who's, who's disrupting your family and disrupting the community, they can face the penalty of death for that. Did everyone who had a rebellious child stone their child? Of course not. Of course not. For the same reason that when I'm going 65 and a 55, I might get a lenient ticket. I've actually had police officers let me go before, you know, um, for speeding. Or sometimes you're driving down the freeway in a construction zone, there's signs that maximum penalty, $5,000. Does everyone who gets pulled over pay $5,000? No. It's a civil law. The government says this is the maximum penalty. A a, a police officer or state trooper has the ability to show some, some discretion there. So does a judge. A judge could decide to be lenient. If a judge wants to be lenient, it's how government works and so that's what this law is telling us is it saying that if you're a rebellious son or daughter to the point that you're disrupting the entire community you can be put to death but it doesn't mean you have to be put to death right the ancient Jewish community had a, 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 a group of elders and ideally they would have 70 that's how many they wanted and all 70 of these judges had to be parents And before anyone was executed, all 70 had to agree unanimously. So more times than not, people were not executed for things. More times than not, that 22-year-old rebellious son would be making his way to the city gates and say, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) You know, like, I'm turning over a new leaf today, right? I'm starting all over, you know? And then the elders would be like, better start over, right? Like, but that's how it worked. You see how the context matters? Otherwise, we just look at this and we're like, why would the Bible say that? If you don't understand it. Here's another place context matters. So in our culture, guys, we think of evil as like doing bad things, right? And as good of doing good things. It's, it's our Western mindset. We have a list of things and the good things are good and the bad things are bad. It's not the way they thought in the first century and before. Before that, they thought evil was chaos Anything that was not orderly was considered evil, and everything that was in order was considered good. See how that's kind of similar, but it's not exactly the same? And so in the ancient world, they thought water was evil. Why do you think they thought water was evil? Well, the flood, that's an example, but it's it's chaotic, right? The water does what it wants to do in their mindset. Water wasn't controllable in their mindset, The weather wasn't controllable in their their mindset. They thought of the water as kind of a necessary evil in the world. Now, how does that reflect on things? Anybody remember the story where Jesus walked on water? Anybody remember the story where Jesus calmed the storm? This might be your first time, you know, at church, but maybe your parents dropped you off at VBS just to get a break. And you probably heard one of those stories. But see, what's, what's happening when you know the context is that Jesus was doing more than showing he could control weather. He was showing that he was Lord even over evil. He was stronger than evil. He could control it, right? He was in absolute control. And that's what made the disciples be like, whoa. It wasn't his ability to control the weather as much as his ability to control even evil and chaos in the world. So Jesus used a lot of stories like this in knowing, not just looking at the insta-snap, you know, but like looking at the whole story actually helps us understand it better. And so here's one of the tough things when we're studying the Bible, guys. Some things, some things are very easy to understand. The gospel is one of those things the Bible is very clear about, right? Jesus died for you. We hear it over and over again. We know what that means. But some things are a little trickier and some things we have to study a little more. Right? What we don't want to do is open up the Bible and be like, well, this passage about stoning kids, what that means to me is I should stone my children. <laughs> you might think all day long you're being faithful to the Bible, and you're absolutely wrong. Because you don't know the context of what you're talking about. And so what we have to do when we're studying the Bible is, is we, want to know, we want to know what the earliest people thought it meant. Because, the, the, you know, the earliest folks who read it probably understood it better than white middle class students in 2019, right? And so I have to do, I have to look into it a little bit. I was talking to one of my buddies, Lance Martin, you guys know him, this week. And we we're talking about this sermon and talking about how, like, when we were in seminary, you know, our professors taught us this kind of stuff. And not everybody's supposed to go to seminary, but some people need to, right? But we were studying it, and we were talking about how one of his professors used this one-liner, and I thought it was really good it can never mean for us what it didn't mean for them. When you're reading your Bible, it can never mean for you what it didn't mean for the people who first heard it. We have to do the hard work of figuring out what it means sometimes. And I'm gonna give some answers on how to do this as we move on. So we need to understand that it's old. Another thing we need to understand is the Bible is a library. As much as we look at it as a leather-bound book, it didn't become a book till hundreds of years after it was written. For the most part, it was scrolls and parchments that were just passed around. Most Christian churches in the first few hundred years of the church, they didn't even have the whole New Testament. They just had parts. And they passed it around. Paul's letters like Philippians that we just studied, not every church had Philippians. Philippi did. But other churches would borrow it. And as time went on, the people would copy it and pass it around that way. But the Bible is actually a library. It's like when you go to the public library, right? When you go to the public library or the school library, there's different genres or different types of books in the library, right? Like you can look at car magazines, you can look at history books, you can look at autobiographies or biographies or fiction. But it's important that we see the difference. You know, there are a ton of different genres in the Bible. Let me just tell you some of them. Law. We just talked about that. There are books that tell us the law, there's history. There's books like Joshua, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, that are just history books, no different than a history book you read in class. They're doing nothing but telling us what happened. Prophecy, there's books that tell us what God says about the future. Poetry, do you know the book of Psalms is really just a book of songs? They're just songs that people sang. Um, there's wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And, and wisdom literature is just writing down good advice, right, for life. There's gospel, which is like a biography, like the gospels, the story of Jesus' life. There's letters, like Philippians, that people wrote. There's speeches. The book of Hebrews is actually a speech, is a speech that, that probably the apostle Paul wrote and read somewhere. And then it was copied and made into something that we can read and then there's the really sketchy ones apocalypse like revelation and daniel Um, and those i am not an expert in so but i do find them very interesting but here's why i tell you this when we read these different books of the bible we have to read them differently the same way you wouldn't go into a library and read all the books the same you can't approach all the books of the bible exactly the same either here's an example who's read harry potter all right, you Gen Xers, how many of you have read Twilight? Only the girls reading their hand. So <laughs> when you read Harry Potter, right, it's entertainment, but you're not going to use that as a manual for living your life, right? You're not going to be like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn magic, and I'm going to be a wizard, you know? No, because you understand the genre, you understand the type, you understand that it's fiction, and fiction is not an instruction manual. Here's where this comes in, right? When you're reading a book of history, like when you're reading the book of Joshua, there's a lot of things in Joshua people don't understand. But here's something you have to remember, especially in the Old Testament. Just because the Bible tells you something happened doesn't mean it happened the way God wanted it to. Historical books are not going to teach you theology. They're not going to tell you necessarily what God wanted in a situation. They're just going to tell you what happened in a situation. So unless one of those books says God said or God felt, we shouldn't assume that it happened exactly the way that God wanted it to happen. And does that make it less true? No, it just wasn't written for that. It was written to give us history. Here's another one with the Proverbs, right? Let me read you a proverb. This is a wisdom saying, okay? Proverbs twenty-two eleven. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. All right, raise your hand if you're friends with a king. Right? Now, does that mean if you have a pure heart and you show grace and speak with grace that a king will be your friend? No. What it means is that if you live your life with grace and with a pure heart, you will most of the time be elevated for it. Right? Right? Does that make that untrue? No, because it was never meant to say that you would have a king for your friend. It's general wisdom. It's telling us how to live our lives in a general way. So we don't build our theology off of Proverbs either. Even though there's things in there that we obviously learn. Because even though they're wise sayings, they're wise sayings that God wanted us to have. But we have to understand their genre. Don't ever build your theology off of the Psalms. Sometimes I, I get in talks with guys and they have a belief that I don't have and all they're doing is quoting the Psalms. I'm like, hold on a minute. These are songs, man. These songs aren't teaching you a theology lesson. Theology, by the way, is the study of God. It's a fancy word for studying God. But, you know, David sometimes or the psalmist will say things like, Oh, God, you have abandoned me. Did God ever abandon David? No. No. David's just sharing his heart. And God wants us to have David's heart on display because guess what? Sometimes we relate to him, right? When you're reading a Psalm, read the whole thing, right? Usually it ends good. But we want to understand what they're for. When I'm reading the Psalms, I'm not looking for a theology lesson. I'm looking to hear someone's heart toward God. When I'm reading the Proverbs, I'm not looking to build everything I believe about God off of the Proverbs. I'm looking for general wisdom that God wants me to apply to my life. When I'm reading a book of history in the Old Testament, I'm not looking for that to instruct me on God's will. I'm looking for the history of Israel. When I read the Gospels, which are a biography, actually Roman lives, but you don't need to know the genre specifically, I'm going to see things from Jesus' life, and that's different. I apply that. Or Paul's letters. Paul's letters are meant to give instruction, and so I let them instruct me. Do you see the difference? And so it's really important that we understand that the Bible is a library. We also need to understand that the Bible is always true. The Bible is always true. Even though there's different genres, even though some parts seem a little weird to us, they are all true all the time. Let me read a couple of verses to you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor, probably in his early 20s. Paul says this to him, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you learned it. In other words, the gospel you've heard from Paul, keep living that. And how from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures. What Holy Scriptures did Timothy know? The Old Testament. The New Testament was not around yet. Bits and pieces of it were. But Timothy had known those from infancy. And Paul says the Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, which means the Old Testament can lead you to the point of accepting Jesus the Messiah. Verse 16, all Scripture, he uses a different word here because now he's including the things that are being written. He's including the Gospels. He's including the things that Paul wrote. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what Paul is saying here is, listen, even though there's different genre, even though things can be a little bit confusing sometimes, all of the Bible is God-breathed. 2 Peter 1 verse 20 says this, Above all, this is the apostle Peter writing a letter. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophets' own interpretation of things. In other words, when you're reading Scripture, you're not just reading someone's opinion. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here's how the Bible was written. God used willing vessels, men in this case, and he spoke to them what they were to write for us to read. You know, like, how many of you have a refrigerator? I'm kidding. We all have a refrigerator. I have one in my office full of Coke Zero. Um, in my family, I'm the guy who goes into the fridge and throws out stuff that's expired. That's one of my jobs because it irks me. If there's anything in there that's expired. Well, we all know what an expiration date is, right? That means it's no good no more. You don't, don't eat it, Right? And then some products we buy have a best buy date or a sell by date. And that means, eh, right? Like, this, this could be all right. You better smell it first. And, uh, you know, it, it could be okay. It could not be okay. Right? Well, listen, the Bible doesn't have an expiration date. Even though we have to do the hard work of understanding it sometimes, the Bible is always relevant, it's never irrelevant. It never expires. Some people think the Bible is not relevant today. They are wrong. The Bible doesn't even have a sell-by date. There's not parts of it that are good and parts of it that aren't for anymore. All of it is for now. All of it matters today. It just takes a little more work for us to interpret the Bible correctly for our generation and for the generations that come after us because it's also our responsibility As generations go by, guys, it is our job to do the hard work of studying the Word and to preach the Word and to know the Word so that we protect it and the generation coming after us can understand what it means. Do you know why this is important? Because if we don't do this, we screw up. Right? You want me to give you some examples? Slavery. What kind of half-witted buffoon ever read the Bible and thought slavery was okay? Somebody who didn't know it. Somebody who didn't get it. And not only did they not get it, they taught other people not to get it. And it made a problem. Do you know during the Holocaust, there were German Christians who were taking all the Jewish stuff out of the Bible, putting in German traditions and making their own Bible. And look how much they screwed everything up. But if you and I will do the work of knowing what the Bible says, putting in our time, we protect and preserve the Bible for our generation and for those coming after us. Our faithfulness to the Bible now preserves the Bible for future generations. If we choose to be ignorant, we're not just tripping up ourselves, we're tripping up everyone who comes next. Everyone who comes after us. So not everyone is called to be a Bible teacher. Not everyone is called to go to Bible college. Not everyone's called to go to seminary. In fact, it's not even a higher calling. It's just another calling. It's no different going to seminary than it is being an architect or a race car driver. Right? It's just a different calling, but we need those guys and ladies. Because they're the the gatekeepers to good theology. The ones who study and know and work at it are the ones who can say, no, 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 that's not what this means. This actually means that, right? So we, we need that. People call seminary, cemetery. I'm never gonna do it because we need those. We need those guys and ladies in those places to study those things. And the last thing that the Bible is, is spiritual. Here's what we know and you guys can read this later. Just write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. And what 2 Corinthians 2, verse 12 says is that we've received the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God can help us understand spiritual things because spiritual things don't make any sense to unbelievers. People who don't know God are like, why would I do that? Right? And why would they do anything? Why would they think any differently if they don't know Jesus. Listen, if we're Christians picketing non-believers doing stuff, we don't know what we're doing. If someone doesn't know Jesus, why would they do anything that the Bible says at all? God doesn't want us preaching morality at the world. He wants us preaching the gospel to the world. Because when people come to know Christ, that affects their morality. It affects the decisions that they make. So we need to understand what the Bible is. And this is a very important, simple but very important point. We also need a Bible we can read. Some, sometimes we get tripped up just because we're trying to read something that was written for people a long time ago. They don't talk like us. And honestly, some things written 20 years ago, people don't talk like us. You need a Bible that you can read. I'm not down on people who are King James Version only, except to say they don't really understand. Okay? The King James Version is awesome. It's the very best we could do in 1611. (laughs) I'm not joking. We just had an anniversary for the King James Version and I downloaded the anniversary edition of the 1611 King James Version because I'm a nerd and I like to read it. I think it sounds interesting, but I don't read it when I'm trying to understand something better. That, that wasn't translated in my time. It's not for me. I don't, I, it's, it's beyond me sometimes why we go into prisons and hand out King James Version Bibles. You know, some things are going to be easily understood even in the King James Version, but m- most of it will not be. Most people are going to come out more confused at the end of that than enlightened. Enlightened on what the Bible is saying, and, and here's the issue I'm going to nerd out for just a second, okay? The King James Version 1611 once translated from Latin, and Latin was translated from Greek, okay? So the Greek language is what the New Testament was written in. The Romans translated that into Latin, and then in 1611, it was translated into English from Latin, but it's not the language that the Bible was written in, and we have over 5,700 Greek manuscripts now. In the translation you're holding, like the ESV or the NIV or the NLT, they're translated from the original Greek. They're actually more accurate than the King James Version. When somebody holds up, a, emails me and says, look, this verse isn't in, the King, isn't in the NIV, but it's in the King James, I say, that's because it wasn't in the Greek, which means it was never in the Bible. So your modern translations are more accurate and plus they're easier to read. It's kind of like this. I love cars. You've heard me say this before. I love every other, every kind of car. I love hot rod cars, sports cars, F1 cars, any kind of car. I love it. Here's something I figured out though. Like if I'm in a red light in my 2015 Kia Sedona sport edition, <laughs> okay, I'm going to outrun the guy in the 1989 Honda Civic no matter how loud his muffler is, okay? Because the technology has changed, right? You probably haven't had your minivan over 100 miles an hour. I have. (laughs) Just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, It's because I'm so responsible. But in the same way, we, we want the best translation. We want the best that what we know now can offer, And that's what we get when we read a newer translation of the Bible. I use the NIV and the New Living Translation. So there's a lot of them out there. Those are the two that I use. But ultimately, the best translation is the one you read. Whichever one gets you to pick it up, read it. It's King James Version, read it. It's a great translation. Read it. Do it. When my kids were little, we had this thing called the Action Bible. Has anybody seen the Action Bible? It's a comic book Bible. (laughs) Like it actually shows Goliath getting his head cut off. I mean, it is epic. (laughs) But my boys read the Bible before most kids ever read the Bible. They read the comic book version. They knew all the stories. Read the Bible that you can read. Read one that you understand. Another thing we need to do is recognize that we all need a little help. We all need a little help. Have you ever watched YouTube to figure out how to do something? Listen, my wife watched a YouTube video and learned how to fix screens on an iPhone. We ain't got no problem with screens on iPhones in our house. She can do it, right? We can watch YouTube and we can learn stuff that we didn't know. We're not experts, but we got YouTube. Here's the YouTube of the Christian world, a study Bible. You need a study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, get a study Bible, man. Study Bibles are awesome, They have the scripture, and then they have commentary underneath where it explains stuff. And because I'm a geek, I have probably every study Bible in digital form on my iPad. I like to see what the different ones say about stuff. The very best one I found, though, is the Life Application Study Bible. It tells you all the stuff you don't know, and plus it tells you how to apply what you're reading to your life. And we actually are selling some of those in the lobby. We went out and we ordered some just to have some on hand in case you're like, I really need to study Bible. And we're not making any profit off these things, right? But they're out there if you want to get one. And if we run out, we're just going to keep them up there so that people can, can get, get them. If you want to go deeper than that, there's all kinds of commentaries. And, you know, if your life group or four group or community group is studying a book of the Bible, email me. I'll tell you a great commentary um, to look at and, and to use. And the last thing, well, it's not the last thing. It's one of the last things. We need to buy in. We talked about buy in last week, didn't we? Did you know that you put in effort in the areas where things matter to you? I'm not shaming anybody. I really like sports, you know, but we were trying, we're trying to plan like a men's retreat, and it's like, ah, oh, we cannot do that till after football season. <laughs> There's no way a guy is going to talk about Jesus instead of watching Saturday football game, Right? I get it. I get it. I'm not making fun. But with the things we value, we make time for. Maybe you like fishing, right? When I wear a PFG shirt, it's just because I feel like I'm shirtless when I have it on. I love the way it feels. I I haven't caught a fish in my life, right? But some of you, you fish and it's a priority. You make time to do it. Some of you like the beach. You make time to get your bottom on the sand, right? You prioritize the things that matter to you. If you love Jesus, you need to prioritize some time in the word, Here's what I'm not going to say to you. I can't tell you how many accountability groups I've been a part of where people are like, how many times did you read the Bible this week? Five? Oh. How about you? Two? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I, all seven. All seven days I read it, you know? And what it becomes is like, it becomes like a shame fest. You know what I'm saying? Some people feel really good because they get an A-plus on their report card and most everybody else got a D. Right? Do you feel like reading your Bible more when you feel like you're getting a D? No. Right? So that's, that's not what I'm doing, guys. But for your sake, my sake, we need to make time to get into the Word. You might think to yourself this. You might be thinking, Phil, you know, but I don't remember what I read. You know what doesn't matter completely? You know that reading your Bible is like eating healthy? You may not remember what you read yesterday, but it's affecting you. You may not remember what you ate yesterday, but if it was good for you, it's good for you, right? You may not be able to quote chapter and verse, but it affects the way you live. You don't have to remember everything to read it and have it matter in your life. And when you, guys, when you read the Bible, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when, it doesn't matter how. Corey likes to read in the morning when she does it. I like to read in the afternoon because I'm normally tired in the morning and at night. And Corbin, he reads before he goes to bed. It doesn't matter. Sometimes I read on my iPad. Sometimes I read my Bible. Sometimes I read on my phone. Sometimes I open the Bible app and I let it read to me. It doesn't matter. The best way to study the Bible, guys, is the way that works for you. Just get into it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. If you, you and I are going to correctly handle the Bible, correctly understand the Bible, then we've got to put some time in. We've got to put some time in on our own. You know, there's a lot of methods on how to study the Bible. Here's what I've done in the past. It's very simple. You ready? I'll read a chapter. If you haven't read the Bible a lot, read the New Testament. Okay, read, read one of the Gospels. Pick like Matthew or John. And just read one chapter about Jesus' life in a translation that you understand, right? Then read the commentary underneath and have a little notebook where you write two things you take away. Oh, here's something I didn't see before. There's something that applies to me. Oh, I need this at work. Do that. Hashtag quiet time, Right? But do the thing that works best for you. We're also better together. Part of the reason we have a Christian community and part of the reason that having community at church is more important than talking head is because we encourage each other. Whatever it is you're studying, there's probably someone in your circle here who's studied it before. Right? Here's an idea. When you're at lunch with someone and you get done talking about the game, bring up a verse you read. Just talk about it. When you're having dinner, bring up a verse, talk about it. When you're at halftime, talk about it. When you're riding in the car with someone, just talk about something. Just have an opportunity to be community with one another. And lastly, we're going to circle back from something I said earlier. We need to be believers. There's someone here today. There were some in our first service, guys. Listen to me. You're not understanding what the Bible says because you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Bible is spiritually discerned and you don't have the Spirit in there telling you this is what this means. This is is how this applies to you. It's the Holy Spirit in me when I'm reading that says, hey, Phil, that one's for you, big guy. You know what I mean? Like that, that, you needed that. You need to put that into practice. It's the Spirit who does that. So you might be here this morning and you might be thinking to yourself, I, you're talking about a relationship with Jesus, but I don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about understanding the Bible, but I never opened that thing because I don't know what the heck it's about. Listen, I, I'm not speaking shame, guys. Listen, we are all on a journey, right? God is after your heart, not your behavior. He's after your heart. But there are also people in this room, I believe it. Just statistically speaking, it has to be true. You're just going through the motions. You're faking it till you make it. We know what that means, right? That means when you start a new job and you don't know how things work, you act confident until you learn it. But it doesn't work with the kingdom of God, guys. You either know Jesus or you don't know him. Here are some test questions. Just see if any of these apply. If you go to church because you feel like you should, are you here today because you just feel like it's a good thing to do? I do it sometimes. I make time to go to church sometimes. It's a good thing. You probably don't know Jesus. If you go to church because you feel guilty. You know, I haven't had a great week. Hopefully I'll go to church and I'll feel clean again. That's not the gospel, guys. Going to church doesn't make you clean. Only Jesus does that. If you're at church today because you feel guilty, you probably don't know Jesus. Because church doesn't fix that. If you go to church because it's good for your kids. Yeah, I'm not really into it, but I really want my kids to be there. What, do you want your kids to be in eternity without you? You want to send them into eternity with God while you spend yours separated? Or maybe you're going to church to make someone else happy. Maybe your spouse likes it when you go to church. Maybe more things will go your way this week if you just do that thing and just go to church to make her happy or to make him happy. We're in a culture, guys, where we are all on a journey. And that is okay, but at some point, you have to decide. If you die today or Jesus returns and you were thinking about being a Christian, it won't be enough. If you die today or Jesus comes back and you just went to church but you didn't surrender your life, it won't be enough. If you die today or Jesus returns and you gave Jesus part of your life, you are not saved. You're not a Christian. It is all or nothing. Jesus doesn't want a down payment. He didn't give you a down payment. He didn't let them cut his finger just to show you that he'll love you later. He was crucified because we deserve death. Don't run from the greatest thing you'll ever do. Don't pass up the opportunity. The devil is in your ear right now saying, you don't need to, you don't need to, not today. Maybe next week, maybe next week, maybe next week. Maybe you won't be here next week. I'm a pastor. I go to a lot of hospital rooms, guys. You might think you have life by the horns, but you actually don't have any idea what will happen 30 minutes from now. I'm not trying to manipulate you because I'm not into that, but what I'm into is loving you and I love you enough to tell you the truth. Knowing Jesus means total surrender. And even if you might be willing to go into eternity without your kids, I don't wanna go there without you. So here's what I want to do. I want everyone to close your eyes because people deserve privacy. This decision is not for anyone else in the room, even if you came here today to make someone else happy. It's not for them. It's for you. If you're here today and you've been faking it till you make it, you've got to decide. If you're here today and you're on a journey, you need to decide. Without anyone else looking around, I'm looking around, you know why? Because I'm your pastor and I want to know who I'm praying for. But if you would say today, today is the day that you want to make a decision. You're done being on the journey. You're ready to commit to having a new life in Christ. If that's you, I want you just to put your hand up long enough for me to see it. All right, anybody else? It's not a game. We're not playing a game. This is for real. Anybody else? Say, that's me, Phil. I've really struggled to commit, but today I'm going to get a new life in Christ. I'm going to stop doing it myself. If you raised your hand or you're just too afraid to raise your hand, which is human, I want you just to pray a prayer like this with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you're holy and good and right all the time. But I am a sinner. I do wrong things. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for me so that I could be forgiven. And Jesus, today I give you my life. I receive your forgiveness. Make my life new. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, guys, and you meant it, then your life is new. It doesn't matter what was before. You can open your eyes. It doesn't matter what was before. It's brand new now. And as we go into a time of worship, I want to invite you. We'll all be standing, okay? I want to invite you to leave your seat and go over to this room here on the side where there's someone you can talk to about the decision you made, or maybe the decision you're thinking about making. We're not here to judge, we're just here to help. But if you're giving your life to Christ today, you're starting a new journey that you cannot walk alone. And so I wanna encourage you to go and to receive prayer and to talk. And the rest of us, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna praise God for those who gave their life to Christ today. (laughs) Welcome to the family. Let's pray. Father, God, we're so thankful for your great love. You're the one we celebrate today and we celebrate those who gave their life to you today. God, we're so thankful that your Holy Spirit worked in the heart of them, God, and that they, God, that life is new and we celebrate that, God, because of your great love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.